Hey, everybody, it's Paul Carruthers with uh, Off Track, our Moto America podcast. Um, I'm joined in Ohio by Sean Weiss, and I'm joined right here next to me by Josh Heron. So how's it going out there today, uh, Sean? I'm so jealous right now. You guys are sitting in a room over there in Southern California. I'm over here in Ohio just begging for spring to come. So, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm just happy to be on the on the podcast with you guys today. We're going to have a good time talking to this guest, Josh Heron. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sitting right next to him close enough that he's actually got his hand on my leg, which I'm a little worried nice. about. <laughs> you know, nice. it's cold here, so it's nice to, you know, maybe warm up a little bit together, but uh, anyways, Josh, how uh how's things? Good? I can't complain. You know, right now we're the only thing that I have to say is that I'm bummed out that we're not racing yet. You know, I want to be obviously on the track. I think uh, it's a big change for me this year. I was with Yamaha for 14 years of my life, which is half my life. And jumping over to Suzuki, it's been it's been a tremendous change for me, but it's something that I'm really excited about and got used to the bike a lot quicker than I thought it was. So I'm just anxious to go race and, and show everybody what it can do and, and see where we stack up against everyone and, and ready to have some fun. So far, it's been entirely positive, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's been some. The, the very first test, it was it was a big change. Just just getting used to the bike, getting used to the team. Um, the bike was a lot different than I expected. Just by riding the stock bike before I actually rode the race bike and signed the contract, I had rode the stock bike, just a stock GSXR around town, and and the race bike is is a, a lot different than than the stock bikes are. The stock bike's very small, and I felt super comfortable on it, and. I got on the race bike and I was like, whoa, this feels nothing like what the stock bike feels like. It almost messed me up riding the stock Wouldn't bike. Wouldn't you almost think the, st- <laughs> the, the race bike would feel smaller? That's what I thought. But it, it just, to me, the only thing I could explain what the what the race bike felt like was if I got on a GP bike or something. It was like super stiff and square feeling and, and just, yeah, totally different. It was... So was you're like, oh man, where's <laughs> the eraser? I want to race my name off the contract or not? <laughs> no no it wasn't, it wasn't that bad but i for sure was like oh my god this is not what i was thinking it was going to be i'm super nervous now i had already heard what valentine devise's times were and it was kind of like a tryout deal and you know he was pretty close to tony's times and i was just kind of in panic mode like you know I, i've never had to be i've never been put in this situation was this at thunderhill or was this at Thunderhill? this was at thunderhill okay you know and i'd never been put in this situation i'm, I'm not a good tester I, I can't push myself to do fast times and testing so i was like already freaking out because i knew i had to go and be x you know be close to tony's times and be close to the times that they had done there before and and you know the first test we we ended up being i think within a second of tony's times and and i went a second and a half faster than i'd ever gone on my yamaha there so i was super happy the team was super happy i worked with the team really well i got along with everybody me and tony worked well together so it was it was great since then. It was just that first initial like couple laps. And I mean, that's got to be a hard thing to like have a so-called tryout. <laughs> but there was an advantage to going second. There, there was and there wasn't because in my eyes, I had kind of discredited Valentin a little bit and thought he wasn't going to go that fast. So I was like, oh, no problem. This is going to be fine. But he ended up going fast. But it, another thing that I had to look at was that it was a track day and I, I had figured, okay, Valentin is going to be pushing super hard. Tony's probably not going to be pushing that hard because there's people all over the track and he knows a little bit better. Valentine did end up going out and crashing that day. So I, I knew he was pushing super hard where I figured, okay, Tony's probably got a little bit left in the tank that he's not going to use at a track day. And then whenever I went and rode, it was open track. And I had, I think, 
at one point I was pretty close to Tony and he, and Davey told me, he's like, watch, he's going to go out and go fast. He's not going to have that. And he did, he went out on a new set of tires or something. It wasn't just the new set of tires that made him go fast, but he put down a flyer and I was like, oh, there's no way I can get that today. I'm not, not comfortable enough with everything yet. It took us until the second test to get everything. Yosh sent, Yosh Japan sent us over some different uh, seat pans for the bike that immediately made me feel more, more comfortable. So we had that for one test at Chuck Wall and then they took it away and they're now in the process of making the product again for us to have for Atlanta. But, um, it was, it was pretty scary at first, but I had a ton of fun with the bike. Love everything about it. You know, it, it was, uh, yeah, everything's been great and I'm, I'm just ready to race. This is as quiet as ice has ever been. So let's <laughs> Look, I know <laughs> I gotta get it. I'm, I'm chomping at the bit over here. Come on. Hey, so, so Josh, you know, this is not a criticism at all of Pat Alexander at Suzuki or Don Sekakur or anybody at Yoshimura Suzuki, but boy, the process, and it could have been like one of those waiting for Christmas things, but it sure did seem like it took a long time for the decision to be made. And, you know, we found out, of course, you did have a tryout, which was pretty interesting in the grand scheme of things. Were there any other factors that came into play? Uh, we we speculated as to whether, you know, they wanted to have at least one American on an American team. We, we were told that wasn't a factor. Um, you know, obviously your popularity with fans, we wondered if that came into play. Do you know if any of that other stuff weigh, weighed in your favor or, you know, was did it come into the decision at all other than just your riding? Uh, the main reason it took so long is because I had, I had actually been offered the test, I think, in October, but I had to wait until my Yamaha contract was up. Uh, so I had to wait to get on the bike. And then that delayed the whole decision process because I was supposed to get on the bike first or actually the same within two days of Valentine. I think I was supposed to ride Thursday and he was supposed to ride on Friday. And because of the contract, I couldn't do that test. So I had to wait until November, I think it was, or December. I don't remember. And uh, so it, it just delayed the whole process. Um, and then answering your second question, I think, you know, the, the social media stuff and, and just, just everything that I do, I think I'm I'm well diverse rider compared to most of the other guys. I do a lot of stuff and I think that for sure helped Suzuki's decision. I think, you know, um one of the Terry was the the main marketing guy at Suzuki. Um he sat in on the meeting with with Pat, Don and myself. And mm. so that was a, a big thing for them for sure was wanting to sell sell GSXRs. Um and and uh, that was kind of one of my big pushes as well. I mean, you know that I can go win a race. You know that Valentin can probably go win a race. You know that all these guys you talk to can come and win races. And I think the main the main thing is winning races, of course. But you know Suzuki's the one putting a lot of money into the program, and they want to sell bikes as well. So that's got to be just as important. Um, and mm. that's something I I take super seriously. You know, trying to promote my sponsors and and do it the best way that I can. And uh, I think it for sure helped me a lot in getting the ride. You think? You know, it's interesting. Be- you- <laughs> no, that I said on social media. Roger said in order to get to give them the okay to hire me, I had to keep the mustache. Right, so there like, you go. No, there's <laughs> like a running joke. I'm not gonna get super into it, but they said that I look like somebody. So one day at the test, I decide I'm just gonna shave, and then I saw the opportunity to finally have a mustache. I'm 28. I could finally grow a mustache. It's not that great, but I could finally do it. So I was like, I'm just gonna try it. And it was funny, and now I've just left it. And I think it's like one of those things. It's a marketing thing at the same time because I can go in, you know, I can go into a dealership for an event, 
And just because I have this stupid mustache, people are going to immediately think that's the rider. There's no way that he has a real job because he <laughs> wouldn't have that stupid mustache on his face. So I keep the mustache because I think it's funny. I told him I'm going to leave it till I win a race. I don't know if they're going to let me keep it or not, but <laughs> it's pretty idiots. So, Josh, when it, it's interesting um, with you. I didn't realize – well, let me let me just say this. You had, as you mentioned, a long, long relationship with Yamaha. Went from being a support rider early on to being a full factory rider, won a championship with them. Uh, then you went over and did Moto2, came back uh, and kind of almost reinvented yourself a little bit. But I didn't know um, when you were with Attack that you, you actually had, you were contracted to Yamaha. So that's that's interesting that you had a contract that had to essentially expire before you could go into this new new deal. That's that's uh didn't know that about you i had i think i'm pretty sure that since 2004 i've had a contract with yamaha every year even when i was in moto 2 i had a contract with them uh through yamaha generators and then i also had a a uh i forget what the contract's called but basically just for me to go into events promotional like personal services i think yeah, kind of thing agreement. that's what it was yeah. sean has that yeah. now yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> um, well, the thing that that's funny going. with you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, so I just I had that PSA agreement. It was also, you know, we were, we had to get any support that we could last year on the attack team. So Yamaha, you know, gave us a parts allowance and gave us two bikes and then helped us out a little bit more whenever we needed some extra parts. Um, they helped as much as they could to to keep us afloat and and uh, like after so, Utah, you probably needed some parts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like it, like at Utah, they they uh, you know came over and said whatever you guys need to rebuild the bike, let us know. But it was just it was way too much to do, and I I told Richard like it it's it's too much work to put on the guys and to know that we got the bike done right. But it it was also just then we're, we become responsible for all these parts that are on the bike, and we don't have the money to we don't want to spend the money to go pay for seventy thousand dollars of parts if I do the same thing again that weren't ours. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's was that your biggest crash ever? Yeah, for sure. That that crash was terrible, but it just didn't seem bad because I had the airbag. Like my tailbone still hurts today to sit down. I don't, I never got wow. an X-ray. I don't want to get an X-ray, but it for sure hurt my tailbone. But uh, the Alpine Stars data from the airbag was they said I took twenty two G's to the chest, and I didn't have any pain in my chest. The only pain I had was my tailbone. And I immediately was thinking like, I'm going to break a collarbone because I had separated, I had a grade three separation in my collarbone and I broke my, or in my shoulder, my left shoulder and broke my left collarbone. So I was immediately in the air. You know, it, everyone says it whenever they have that eyesight, it feels like it's like a, you know, it's a, maybe a five second crash, but it feels like it's 30 seconds. You're like sitting there, you have time to actually think. And I remember like trying my hardest to rotate in the air to try and land on my back and not my collarbone. And wow. uh, I didn't have any pain. So it was crazy but it was for sure the the worst crash and it was the the thing that made it worse was it was so unexpected it wasn't like i had a big slide i just hit the wet paint and it just snapped kind of like lorenzo's high side i think at Assen a few years ago when he was in the wet and then flew and rode the right. same weekend or whatever um that's what it felt like to me and even i consider it to be a huge crash because skultz and cam peterson is south african we all know that they're crazy as hell South African <laughs> people are anybody. <laughs> and he, Skoltz is like, that was the worst crash I've ever seen. So I was like, all right, sweet. Skoltz said it was bad. You're do bad. it. Do it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think Paul maybe may agree with this but too, but I, I bet there are some fans out, out there that will remember. Um, the very first time I ever saw you was 
uh, I think it was 2006 at uh, when you were in that race at Miller Motorsports Park in Utah and you podiumed in that race. And I remember not knowing who you were until then. Um, that was kind of your coming of age a little bit, at least kind of with Yamaha. I think you even had the number 46 at the time. Um, is that right? Is that kind of when it really, you know, you really kind of arrived on the scene? I so I got to test. Let's see that year. Um, I turned 16 in May, so that was 2006. Uh, you couldn't race pro AMA until you were 16. So, right. turning 16 in May, I missed like the first half of the year, or the first maybe four rounds or something. I got to test. So actually, I went back it up a little bit. I got the new 2006 was the first year that the R6, the new R6 came out, um, and I got to ride a couple rounds at at uh in Weira. So I went to Jennings and Robert Jensen was the top Weira guy back then. He was a guy that was finished on the podium in AMA as a privateer. Like this dude was super fast. And so I I actually beat him at Jennings, I think, and it was like the biggest accomplishment ever. Like that was so huge for me and my dad. And then we got the test at Utah, I think the second time that they ever opened the track up for testing. And I was maybe like third fastest, I think. So that was like really big that was before i had done any racing yet in ama then we went to wisconsin which was the first race that i ever did and i got i think it was the best debut race in ama history I think oh I wow fifth i beat ben spees or maybe ben spees right in front of me um but that was when i mean there was 15 guys that had all won super sport races in that year and so for me to finish six was huge and then we went to um utah and i got third right behind Jamie Hack, Jamie Hacking won by like five seconds, but then me and Roger Hayden and Danny Eslick had a huge fight, and I ended up finishing third, uh, right behind Roger, and I think I was the youngest to get on an AMA podium, and then AMA decided, whenever they did Daytona Sport Bike, they decided to add all these, and I'm not trying to be a dick when I say this stuff, but they added the Super Sport class, which <laughs> right. it was Daytona Sport Bike and Super Sport, so it was the entry level class. And so then you had, I think, Elena Myers then became the youngest person to ever get a podium. Yeah, but it wasn't the even the same. It was not the same. <laughs> it made me so mad. Yeah, I was so mad. I was like, here I am. Like, I have this, my name in the record books. It's like when I won Daytona. I was like, the youngest person to ever win Daytona 200. And they're like, oh, no, actually, there was somebody that did it on the sand in 1956. Oh, Brad Andres. Yeah. That like, was a cow was on the sand. Like, it's the same thing to me. It was like, Elena was a great rider, and all the people in that class were great. But they were, it was also like a weird class. Well, it was, it was, it was more of an entry level. It was like our stock yeah. 600 was. So it, that, to this day, I'm mad about that because I, <laughs> I think I still would have the youngest record, the youngest to win a race if it wasn't a junior cup or an entry right. level 600 class. And that would be sweet, but now it's Elena Myers will always have it. I think, or maybe somebody else actually got it. But so, Sean, we should have had Elena Myers on here today, <laughs> right? Uh, selling uh, what McGraw insurance or whatever. Um, no, but, but to answer your question, sorry, that I, yeah. I don't know if that was what put. I had had a deal with Yamaha, but that I for sure think, as far as AMA goes, at the time it was Speed TV with Greg White, and I yeah, don't exactly. But that was for sure like the moment that I came onto the scene, I think. And then I sucked the rest of the year. I was terrible. I don't know what <laughs> I remember watching it on speed. <laughs> I sucked so bad. I, I was, was actually terrible. there, Sean Vice. <laughs> I figured you would have been, yeah. I so that's a new story and we can reminisce. <laughs> <laughs> does that seem like that was a really long time ago, Josh, or does it seem like it was only yesterday? It seems like it was yesterday. That was Really? Yeah, that was that was a really good weekend. I 
got my first ever AMA podium. I lost my virginity and I got stung by a bee because I used a flower reef thing on the podium and the bee was swarming me. I was on which, wow, part so you... that, which part of that was the best? Seriously, probably losing my virginity. <laughs> just, wow, so you... Time, it was pretty exciting. I was like, yeah, you literally... You literally <laughs> learned about the birds and the bees that weekend. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I my parents' trailer in the middle of the night. I was 16. And yeah, that happened. Wow. Uh, nice. That's, some, that's a story I've never on. heard. Yeah, seriously. I've never heard that one. It's the title to the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be our soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question for you, Josh. This is a, this is a tough one, but because I've never actually talked to you about this. But I, I want to talk about your the 2013 year. I remember in 12 when you jumped up to Superbike and you, you kind of realized it was a pretty big jump from being on a 600, regardless of whether it was Super Sport or moving up to Sport Bike and all that. Um, I remember you had you had a compartment syndrome surgery that year. But then in the 13 year, we've we've never really talked about this. But how do you feel about that championship? Because I'm not you completely won it outright. I'm not saying that. But there was one time where I made some comment about the fact that, you know, Josh had all Josh Hayes had only all those problems with false starts and everything. And a lot of times he would be ahead, but you would actually be the one that won the race. And it was very confusing for the fans and hard to understand. And, you know, you you won it. You were a superbike champion. There's no doubt about it. But what what do you feel about that year when you think back about it? I mean, when you look back at it, the thing that I've learned and people told me is like, no matter what, your name will always be there for that year. But yep, and no matter what anyone ever tells me, I don't think I earned it that year, and that's why I'm still so fired up to still win a championship. Um, I've had so many different thoughts about that year. I thought maybe someone in AMA or something wanted me to go to Europe, so they tried to help me win the championship. Possibly, it was just weird. Like the guy had been racing for how many years, and all of a sudden, I mean, he did do the jump starts. I mean, they mm-hmm. showed it on the camera, but it was like he's not going to win a race because of the jump start that he did. There's no freaking way. And so to me, it's like, okay, he did it. But when I look back at it, there was two races where I won, but he finished in front of me. And that was only because he had a ride through or he had a time penalty. Like I remember mid Ohio, Daniel Teal was the pit lane reporter and I won the race, but Hayes finished ahead of me, but I didn't know that he had a, a penalty and he won by like a millisecond. It was like nothing. And I was doing an interview and I was all bummed out. And she's like, so how does it feel to get your first win? And I'm just like, what? I won. Like, yeah, I, I remember that. No, you won. You won. Josh had a penalty. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I'm, to me, I mean, I'm a super bike champion and I always will be. Um, and I was the most consistent that year. I mean, Ben Bostrom won a championship and never won a race. So, I mean, you could say right. the same thing about him, but he was a super 100%. Champion. But I want to, you know, it's the same as winning a, a wet race. Like I still haven't, in my eyes, I haven't won a dry Moto America Superbike race. So like that frustrates me and I want to win a dry race. And I want to win a championship. Um, so from, in my eyes, I'm still fighting like I had never won a championship. I want to, I want to win one outright and not have anybody have any problems. Same thing as if somebody were to get injured, I'd be like, you know what? I didn't really get to race that guy that year. I don't really consider it. So I want to keep trying and get a real one. I remember that day at Laguna Seca when you won. It was kind of weird. Like it in the press weird. conference and stuff, you were like, you did, you weren't excited. You weren't, it was just, it was, I'd never seen anything like that in all the years yeah. I'd been doing it. I'm like, God, this kid just won a Superbike championship, but he, he knows he kind of, 
It wasn't even on TV. Yeah, it was weekend just, didn't it even just, get recorded. It, yeah, like, it was. It was just a <laughs> shit deal. Yeah. So I think it, there was it was something weird. I don't know if it was a political thing or if they someone was just not a fan of Hayes and they were just super critical on his starts. And I mean, he didn't mess up. I mean, it's his fault. He did jump the start. If you look at it, you jump. All of us have the same rules and we weren't doing it. So I can't discredit myself that bad. But it was one of those things where you deep down, it's like the same as if you're in a fight with someone and they, I don't know, something happens, they trip and fall. And then that's why, or a race, you know, you're running in a race and the guy trips and falls or he crashes, whatever. It's like deep down in my gut, I'm not always going to know like, dang, like I won that championship because he messed up. And it's right. because I never really got the opportunity again to beat Josh, mm-hmm. but he was a badass rider. He still is, but you know, he, <laughs> so the next year, the next year, I don't even like to think about it. So I know you don't. But the next year, you went to uh, Moto2, and let's stop this now and do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay, we're going to stop real quick. Or he said just we'll leave have... this going, but we've got to just change that battery, okay? Yeah. I don't know <clears> if we'll have enough thing in this one. That's weird, though. It still says, oh, no. The movie recorded exceeded the 4 gigabyte limit. It was split. This is really good so far. Yeah, it's good. Did I finish asking that question? Uh, you you can bring, it. bring it bring it back yeah, and so yeah, so it was a good time to talk about that transition because it was All that right. next year and it's this next thing I thought of too. Um All right, so we're going to go again now, okay? Okay. You're ready? Oh, okay. All right. So Josh, that brings us to 2014 and I don't even like to think about that year because it bums me out. So I know what it does to you. How early in that process did you think, oh, man, I am freaking screwed? It was actually the opposite because when I when I started testing, as far as I can remember, I was not that far off Zarco's times. Like I was pretty close. I think we I don't it's hard to remember. It's kind of, you know, it's been a while, but I, I'm not I don't have a good memory at all. But which is good in this case. case. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of 2013, when we were on the 2013 Suter chassis. I'm pretty sure that I was like, we went to, I remember going to Valencia. It was like the first track that I knew like, okay, I could do good here. Cause I've been here. I I was there on an 80 CC metric hill and I was like in 2003, but at least I knew it. And we went there and I was within a second of the top times. And then at Jerez, whenever we were testing, I was like a second and a half, second off. So it was like, I was confident going into that year that it was going to be good. Um, I remember exactly that whenever everything kind of turned and it, it wasn't because of what happened at all, but it, I don't think that it was, but it was that same time whenever Tommy Aquino passed that I, you know, I, I was sick in a hotel room at, I think we were in, I don't, I don't even remember what the track was called, but we had a track in Spain and I got, I was super sick. So I missed the first day of testing. And then I got the news about Tommy and I was there by myself and it was just like, this is like the worst day ever. Like, I don't understand why all this just happened. Right? Like my best friend growing up, you know, I raced with just died on a motorcycle. I, I can't go out there for the funeral. Like I'm just, it was pretty messed up. I'm sitting sick in a hotel room by myself. And I think at the same time we had also got the new chassis and I was just so lost with the new chassis. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't set it up to save my life. And I don't know what it was, but Every time then I would try to make a change 
the team wanted to kind of stay a little bit in that area because they didn't want me like veering off too far and doing something but that's what i needed to do is just feel big changes and see what it did um the the biggest thing that hurt that whole year minus not changing my grips <laughs> which really sucked i tried changing grips that is like the biggest thing to me you could ask the O's guys i told them like i have to have these grips i have to have rear sets that are sharp like i need to feel like wherever you're touching like you have to feel that it's super important right and but what hurt the most was coming in from practice during the races and somebody being right here like i'm looking at the times and i'm thinking how can i go faster like i'm in the middle of a session and someone's standing here saying, you got to go faster, you got to go faster. Like, come on, come on. And it's like, dude, what riders have you been around that this is how you work? <clears throat> and I, I love everyone on the team, but it was just so frustrating, like, seeing somebody act like that. And it's like, this is, this is the top level in the world. Like, that is not how you act. Like, let me focus and think about what I need to do. I need to be thinking about the bike right now and not thinking about you yelling in my ear that I need to go faster. You think I want to be where I'm at right now? Like, right. I know that I need to move up. And then one race in, I don't know what it was, maybe Silverstone or something, the Malaysian boss came in, not the guy that owned it, but the middle guy. Can't stand him. His name was, um, I don't remember what his name is, but so much I don't like him. But <laughs> he came in and it was the best, it was Bruno, the best race that I'd had. Uh, it was like only 30 seconds off Tito bat off the victory. I think we finished 16th. So 30 seconds to me and like a 30 lap race was good. I was pumped. And he came in and he's like, you're worthless. We wish we never signed you. You're an 18th place rider. You always will be. If you fail here, you're just going to go back to your rich parents in America, which I don't know where he got that. <laughs> like, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my parents win the lottery when I was gone. They're not telling me. <laughs> and just for 30 minutes straight, I was literally like just sinking into my chair. Like, right. I, I felt like a, I get this feeling like whenever I was a kid and I'm like getting yelled at, like my neck turns into like a giraffe neck and my body's just like sinking in the chair. I don't know. How to, that's the only way I can explain it. I'm just like stuck here and this guy's just freaking yelling at me and like just telling me how worthless I am. I'm like, wow, what the hell? Like, I just wanted to punch this guy. Like, it took everything I had not to punch him. And I, I remember just leaving there, just gutted. And I go to a hotel and I'm with Ben Young, my brother, and we're in a hotel in England. And I just get this news. Somebody texts me, like, sorry about the news. I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, you didn't hear? I'm like, and they didn't want to tell me. I'm like, dude, what's going on? Call my manager. He wouldn't answer. Call the team manager. He wouldn't answer the phone. My manager finally calls me back. I tell him, you know, somebody had said that I, I you know, got fired. And nobody had told me. There's, like, a new rider. Will Rot is on the uh, pre-entry list or something. I'm not on there. And he's like, wow. I, don't, I got no idea about this. So I called the manager again, 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 didn't answer. He finally calls me. He's like, sorry, we had to do it. This is just how it goes. And the guy ended up using my leathers for two weekends. They didn't even give my leathers back. I had to go in, like, the truck driver let me in. I finally, like, raid the truck and get all my stuff out of there. And it was just terrible. They never paid me. It was they, – they didn't owe me enough for me to go fight in court in England. By the time I would have – if I won, it wouldn't have even been worth it. And it was terrible. But you just walked away. No and... It's just like – Hey, I, I got to travel the world and ride a motorcycle. So if I, you know, Josh, I I don't know how widely known this is, but you told me this and I'm going to ask you and we'll see what you say about it. You had said, and that bike that you rode was not the same bike as Johan Zarco's bike. Am I right? Can you talk about that? It was the same bike, but it was just, there were certain parts he was getting that, and I, there's not like some piece of paper that I saw where it was like, Hey, he has this and he has that, but it was like, 
I could just, you know, like Chuck Graves, I got Chuck Graves to make an exhaust or make exhaust for that team. Yes. And all of a sudden, Zarco has this exhaust that's coming out the left side of the motorcycle instead of the right side. And I was like, what's up with that? I called Chuck and he's like, oh yeah, that's the new exhaust I made you. I'm like, they're not letting me run it. They're, it's on Zarco's bike. He's like, oh, it makes a couple more horsepower. Like you should be on that pipe. And I asked like, oh yeah, you run your shift lever too low. You can't use that exhaust because it hits. I'm like, you didn't even ask me about it. Like I could move my shift lever up for a couple horsepower. Like this is a spec class. That means a lot to have two extra horsepower. Like that's huge. And just stuff like that. It just didn't make sense. And they were like giving me shit all the time because they were saying that they were my chauffeur. Like, oh, we shouldn't have to be showing you around Europe. You should have somebody or you should know how to do this. And it's like, I don't know how to do this. Like, what do you want me to do? I, I've never been over here. I'm 23 years old. Like, you know, it was just little things like that. Yeah, the anybody that's awesome, ever but... gone there has usually had somebody that knew the ropes. <laughs> and the team was awesome. Like, I, I loved my mechanics and my crew chief and data guys and suspension guys that came out to Georgia and hung out and stuff. And it was just the the guys that were, like, higher up on the team. And it was – I was so mad at one point. I was, like, Twitter DMing the guy who owned the team. Like, just, like – Dude, this is messed up. You owe me eighty grand. Like, can you like maybe put an Air Asia sticker on my helmet next year and just I'll just maybe pay me for that to make up for it or something? And just like I was like, come on, you gotta give me something. I spent my own money to travel. You got nothing though. Nothing. All right. Well, let's fast forward a little bit to two thousand and fifteen because <laughs> that's when we started at Moto America and you came back. And I mean, ever since then, it's just your life's gotten a lot better. Obviously, and you're back to where you should be. You won some races that year in Super Sport. And life got better, right? Yeah. You know, it's 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 been up and down. You know, you have had a few <laughs> little rocky roads with similar situations. But. Yeah, similar situations, not getting paid and stuff. But, you know, if you take the money money side out of it from the teams, the teams, the team that I had the problem with, I should, shouldn't say teams, attack performance was amazing. It was a great year. It was the best year I've had so far in my career. Um, but before that, we had some problems. But no matter what happened, the guy that I was riding for gave me the opportunity to come and show my skills on a bike that no one else wanted to give me an opportunity for after I got back from Europe. So it'll forever be, you know, I mean, at Mean Motorsports, I mean, Zajati was, it was great. That, that whole year was awesome. I did two years of them, Super Sport in 15, Super Stock in 16, actually three years, and then Super Bike in 17. And, uh, and won a championship. Yeah, won a Super Stock 1000 championship. Had a ton of fun. And got to be there from the start with Moto America, and you know it's been great. So um, I'm happy with all how, that. I made to be. How there. crazy is that, though, Josh? That you, in just a short amount of time. I mean, looking back, looking at where you're at now, and thinking back to only a couple of years ago, you had to kind of start over again and almost reinvent yourself again, or get people to believe in you again. That's that's a, a huge ascension back to you know where you're at again. You must feel proud about that. That was, it's just cool looking back on it. Like whenever I watch videos that Schaffner's done for me, my video guy, my friend, um, it just gives me goosebumps watching that whole process because, you know, maybe growing up, I for sure, I mean, took what I had for granted. I do them, and 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 do them. And it changed the way that, you know, their trajectory on life was. And I think that's what happened to me. You know, I came back and, like you said, had to reinvent myself, 
realized how important social media was and I, I realized that it was going to be a total game changer for, for my career and just took off with it and tried my hardest in racing like always and I've been able to kind of like make two images now, the racing side and the social media side and it's it's helped me a bunch and I just have fun with it and you know enjoy talking shit and <laughs> just having fun. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, a lot of people... I know you didn't ask, but we'll just bring up since get brought up now the whole social media thing. Like now I'm catching a lot of trash talk about the way that I am on Instagram and stuff, but it's it's just to better everybody when I look at it. You know, good, you know, any press is good press is the way that I look at it. Everyone's getting something out of it. If I'm saying something about, you know, OBA should have gone to Europe when he had the chance, it's just me having fun. And I've talked to him about it. And it's it's just me trying to create some type of drama so somebody's excited about coming to a race, you know. We obviously need some help getting people to the races, and that's just kind of the the way that I am. I've noticed that it social media helps with that, and and I want to try and leverage it as much as I can. And I think it's it's working. Just people are a little bit soft these days. <laughs> and I think the other riders know that and appreciate it because I think they'll like say odd freaking hair and blah blah blah. Yeah. But then I think they genuinely like you. Like you know, like I get pissed off at you. <laughs> And, and, and then when I'm with you, then all of a sudden it's, you know, I'm not mad anymore. And we have, we've had our little fights here and there, but it always brings us back together. But I think it's the same way with those guys. I think they see stuff on social media and like, and almost maybe like, God, I wish I would have thought of that kind of thing. Or I wish I had a lot of them just don't feel as comfortable as you do. Just putting yourself out there like that. Yeah. And I, I wish that they would. Cause I mean, the thing that sucks is it's, it is hard riding for a manufacturer because they, you know, they have to they have a standard that they have to meet with like, Hey, we can't have this image, right? They can't have stuff like that. So it's hard for somebody like me that wants to do the things that I do, but maybe I can't do some things, but I think that you just gotta just go for it and be yourself. People can't hate you for being yourself. And I'm just trying to be myself. Like if we're at my house and I'm with Cameron Bobier or I'm with Jake Gagne, I'm going to talk shit to them about racing, you know, 125s or 100s at my house. Like, or just having fun. Like that's, that's how you win. Like I'm either better than you. And if I feel like we're pretty close, I want to try and beat you mentally so that I can beat you on the track. Like look at Malad and look at all those guys that are super successful. Like Conor McGregor, like, yeah, you get knocked down every now and then like Cameron beat me at the test at Thunder Hill, but it's like, Hey, I learned a lot too. But I, at the end of the day, we're all racing motorcycles. We're having fun. And yeah, we take it serious. Like it's our job, but like, how stupid are you if you don't have fun with it too? I mean, people on Instagram love it and Instagram isn't everything. If Instagram was gone tomorrow, would I be okay? Yeah, I'd still have fun with my family, my friends. I you have more time on your hands. I have more time <laughs> on my hands, but I have a lot of fun with Instagram. I think it, it it's a way for me to connect with fans and, and show them who I really am. So it actually, you know, makes them want to want to root for me on the track. Some guys might be like, that guy's a dick. I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> Hey, then it makes him an even bigger Cameron Bobier fan. So you're welcome, Cameron Bobier, for bringing some fans yeah, to your somebody. <laughs> yeah. What you you haven't been you haven't been in in the truck sharing a truck with anybody in mm-hmm. a while. Like you've had your own deal. Is how I always wondered. Like how hard is that to like share the front of a truck with a guy that you're racing against and you're trying to beat, but he's your teammate. Mm. I mean, I know Maladin always said I got to have my own truck. I mean, those days are gone, obviously, because of the the money's not the same, but. You're in you're in the front of the truck with Tony 
and you go, you have practice sessions together. He's faster than you. You're faster than him, whatever. How, how difficult is that? Uh, I haven't seen his junk yet, so I'll let you know after. It might be a little bit more bumped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll be bumped. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's been fun. I mean, is I, I don't know. I'm... <laughs> I got a Spanish Basque last name, so my Heron isn't my legal last name. So like people that I get to know better, I tell them what it is and it's just kind of funny what it is. So <laughs> that's kind of like a running joke right now because my last name is Irwegas. So it's like, I don't even know how to say it right, but that's what it is. <laughs> no one even knows that. But, but are you joking? <laughs> I'm not joking. So what the hell? Nick- All the years I've known you, my dad, my dad's got this friend. He calls me Crazy Gringo. It's Crazy White Boy. Like that's what it is, right? So that's <laughs> gonna be my nickname on the team now because Tony's Spanish. So I'm the Crazy White Boy. Oh, that's fine. Like stuff like that. Like, I just try to have fun with it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we're gonna argue at some point. I'm sure we're gonna get mad at each other. But having the truck to yourself kind of sucks. Like it sucks not having somebody to come and talk to about a bike. Right. And Tony's really good about that. You know, we've ever since I got on the bike, we've had the exact same feedback when it comes to all the parts that we've tested and everything. So setting the bike up's been great. I can come in and talk to him. I've I've concentrated so much of my time at the tests and away from the tests on doing data and stuff with the guys. And that's something that I've never done before really. It's always just been a thing where I'm like I didn't like the whole new age electronic stuff on bikes. I just want to ride. And I think that skill should, it should just show on the track. Like we should both ride stock bikes and that's who's the better rider. Like, right. But I've taken it way more seriously this year and made it a job and, and try to sit down, like I said, and look at data and stuff and being able to compare notes with Tony and do all that stuff. And I can literally come in, like they download the data. I can set it up how I want and look at all the stuff that I want to look at and compare my lap to Tony's lap and go in at the end of the day, tell him like, Hey, I saw this on the data. Like I'm catching you on the brakes a ton here. You're way better than me from the time we're off, off the brakes, getting on throttle to full throttle. But maybe if we both kind of meet in the middle, we would both be a lot better because if you watch a lot of the races, even last year, me and Cameron would catch Tony a ton mid corner and almost like get blocked up by him. And then he'd accelerate and it would mess us up because then we're late from where we'd want to be get on the gas so i'm like yeah it's a good tactic if you're trying to mess the guys up behind you but you could be a lot better if you wrote a little bit like us and i could be a lot better if i wrote a little bit like you so i'm able to kind of you tell them that yeah i mean i feel like tell them (laughs) I, i just i mean look at the end of the day no matter what anybody says when i post something on social media i'm being honest I think the Suzuki is the best bike. I never rode it. I rode it now, and I think it's great. The Yamaha was a great bike. It's won championships. I won races on it. Obviously, it's a great bike, but there's things about the Suzuki that I like more. So for me, at the end of the day, whether it's Bell, Alpine Stars, Suzuki, Yoshimura, like, that's the people that are supporting me, and those are the people that I've chosen to use because I like them the most, and I want to make them the best that I can. And at the end of the day, it's whoever's better that's going to win a race. So. If me and Tony are the, pulling away from Bobier, we've done our jobs, and I've helped make the bike better, and one of us is going to win. So, Okay, so question. Let's go back to <clears throat> 2017 at VIR. Mm-hmm. So you throw it up the inside of them. You're riding, riding for me. Yeah. You throw it up the inside of them. You, you both crash. So let's fast forward to 2019, and if you had that same <laughs> – if you're in that exact same situation – 
obviously knowing what you know now, you might want to do it anyways. But let's say you've forgotten <laughs> about that. Are you still you still throw it up the inside of him there when he's your oh. teammate and you go back to the truck? I mean, no matter what anybody says, I think that that day it was both of our faults. I mean, I had the line on him on the inside. I think he knew I was there. He released the brakes, and then I had nowhere to go. That's that's my story. I'm sticking with it, and what happened happened. But you never, you know, you, I don't know exactly what the saying is because I'm retarded, but that's the wrong <laughs> word to use. I'm sorry. But it's any opportunity or anything, anytime you don't take the chance, you don't get whatever's on the other side. That's how I look at everything. The world could end tomorrow, and if I didn't go for that win, I would be pissed at myself. So, yeah, it's maybe the middle of the race, and Tony wanted me to wait till the end of the race, but it's like, no, I, I do when it's unexpected. I don't want to do it whenever you're expecting it, because then that's when you're going to be defending that spot. Well, at the end of the race, your bike wasn't going to be there probably anyways, though, right? I mean... Huh? Oh, at the end of the race? No. Yeah, I mean, you struggled at the end of the race know. with that bike, so but I mean, that, that was your chance. so good, though. Like, I love that track so much. That's my favorite track to ride at. And so, like, to me, it's the most confident. Like, the year before, I had had the incident with Roger in turn one where I was kind of in the same position as Tony, and I came down and Roger hit me. So it was like last year it got ruined on the super stock bike, and then this year I was like, I'm going for it because Roger was pulling away or whoever was in front. And so I was thinking I could be there. But even even if I wasn't going to be there at the end, I wanted to at least just get up there. Because my tactic for the past two years, if I didn't think I was going to be there at the end of the race, it's, shove a wheel in there and race him like i'm i'm a better scrapper than anybody on the track i think so if i can it messes with your head big time if somebody just stuffs you all of a sudden like messes your rhythm up your heart rate spikes so that's my tactic is if i can't hang with you i'm gonna stuff you somewhere because then it gives me a chance it's like same with i don't know i keep going to the fighting situation but if you feel like you can be tired then you're gonna try and throw as many heavy blows as you can at the beginning when you got energy so that way the other guy gets tired too that's how i so Josh, I got I want to be straight with you for a minute on so 13, let's think about where you were at as a rider in 13 on a super on a super bike. Or I can't I didn't know what you just said there because I'm so focused on what I'm thinking. But uh anyway, and then we'll we'll talk about 17. So 13, you were you know, you followed a little bit. You were you followed. Yeah. And then 17, you know, Paul mentioned the fact that maybe you weren't going to be there at the end. Last year. You're a totally different rider. You don't follow. You're going to be there at the end. You're going to win races. What? What's the deal? What changed? You're a different rider, don't um, you think? Yeah, that's anywhere? probably. I mean, Chuck Graves was always – Chuck Graves is the one that, you know, without him, my dad, I wouldn't be where I'm at. You know, in 2006, he took a chance on me. Actually, 2004, when he helped me in Weira. So I'm, I've always – Chuck's been a second dad to me for, you know, since I was 14. And he's always told me, hey, if you want to do good, you need to learn to lead races. You need to learn to lead races. You need to learn to do lap times and qualifying by yourself. You need to quit relying on everybody else. It's been a mission of mine to do that for a few years now. And now I'm finally at the spot where I can do that. And, you know, that's a, a huge thing to me is being able to lead races or being able to do. Now I can do Super Bowl laps by myself without falling. But now it's the other way. I hate when people follow me. So it does suck. Um, but, but that's what changed. I just worked at it really hard. It's super important to be able to do that. And like you saw in the rain, both races, whenever I got the chance that I could actually pull away, I was able to consistently do the laps by myself. And do that. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, after the, after you were announced and it came out, you know, I'll tell you, I actually called Chuck um, because I know about your longtime relationship with him. And I called him specifically to ask him, I said, how do you feel about, about Josh going to Yosh? Are you happy? And he goes, he goes, oh my gosh. He said, I'm thrilled. He said, he's, he's absolutely the right one for that 
that job. He said, I told, I told those guys that I said, you're going to make a mistake if you don't pick him. So, um, so yeah, he's always been behind you. I called Chuck numerous times during the negotiations with, with Suzuki and stuff and just asked him for advice. And and so he's one of the only people in the paddock that I've always trusted. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Goes way back. And then you tell that story about how I cannot believe as close as you were with Chuck Graves that you found out that when you were on that Moto2 team, they were given a Graves pipe to the other rider and not to you. Yeah, a guy who's Graves known pipes. him since you were a kid. We both had Graves pipes. He just got a special one. That was- That's ridiculous, though. <laughs> I'm so upset about that. Oh, you're going to be okay, um, John? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm kind of upset. Uh so, so Josh, let's talk a little bit about your your hair and compound because a lot of the riders work with younger riders, and but you spend a lot of time with younger riders. The stuff you've done with Gavin Anthony's career and what you do on that hair and compound with younger riders, Ashton Yates is another one. I mean, I can go on and on about the riders. What? Why do you do that? And and you know, talk about what what's in you to want to kind of give back the way you do in that way. I, I just. I mean, it's always hard to say, but I'm in the situation where it's just true. It's like I'm in the position right now that Tommy Hayden or Roger Hayden or Ben Spees or, you know, Aaron Gilbert, Jake Zemke, all those guys were when I was 12, 13 years old. So to me, it's like I have the opportunity to change this kid's life or this kid's path and help him out. Like if 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 one of those guys would have helped me the way that I help Ashton or Gavin or Gavin's little brothers or, or whoever comes up through it, Kayla Yakov, Alexis Oliver, like any of them, like my dad, or my parents, me, we would have, that would have been huge, right? Like that's like the the biggest thing ever. Like I, I remember walking around Fontana when I was 11, 11 years old, something like that with leathers, like trying to get all these guys autographs and just getting their autographs was huge to me. Like, oh my God, I got to see Nikki Hayden. Miguel Duhamel or even like a Tony Myring, all these dudes were like big deals to me. And so that's, that's always been like the biggest motivation for me, I guess, was to be what I always wanted those guys to be. And they weren't, you know, DeSalvo was the closest to it. I think when I was, like I said, at Fontana, I was going around and he brought me into, it was like when he had the American racing or what was it called? Yeah. It was like, I don't yeah, he had the red, white, and blue helmet and all that. Yeah, and his dad were the ones that were. It was their team, and he had like he had these knee. He brought me in his motorhome and he was playing like MotoGP three, which was like I love video games and MotoGP. I used to play that game with my dad's friend Reno like nonstop, and his buddy Alfie. Like we would just play that game all the time. And he brought me in the motorhome, let me play the video game with him, and then he had a. It was like the old motorhome. He had like carpet on his roof of his motorhome. And he pulled, he had these alien knee pucks that uh, asphalt and gas used to make. It's like the ones that Hayes wears, like leather knee pucks. And right. the alien, and he signed it for me. And like, that was like the coolest thing ever. Like, I still have that knee puck. I, I only got three knee pucks ever. One was from John Hopkins. And it was a red Alpine Stars knee puck. And that's why I wear red knee pucks now. And that was 10 years, 15 years ago. Tommy Hayden gave me one. And then DeSalvo gave me one. And that's, that's all I remember as a kid. Like, those guys were the cool ones. And so for me... I, I want to see the, the next generation of kids have a better have it better than, than I did, hopefully. And then I want to be the reason why, you know, I want to have my name attached to somebody that does that. Like, hey, Gavin, just come race our house. Gavin's AMA champion. Like, that's just cool to me. And not to say it, to brag about it, like, it's just cool to me to be able to say that. 
I think, you know, I see how much my mom loves all the kids that come through and all the racing families. And it just becomes family to me. Like everyone that comes to our house is family. Like every Saturday night when, when people come there, my mom cooks tacos, they all go inside of her house. They watch the Moto America races. If it's on a Moto America weekend, they all come to the races and, and cheer me on in one corner. Like that's just, to me, that's just badass. And then now Gavin Anthony and Ashton are being able to, and Trevor Standish and Jackson Blackman, all kids that came to our house, like they're shining now where I started and it's just cool like seeing how I watched that whole process happen and you know Jason Perez was somebody when I was little that helped me if you don't know who Jason Perez was he was super fast Graves helped him um he grew up going to Willow Springs and so him and Chris Paris used to be like battling each other when they were privateers and if Perez would be like top 15 I was losing my mind on speed channel like when I was 10 like just cheering him on and the first time I beat him on a YSR, I was like 12 years old and I got the Haro 10 inch BMX bike. Like that was my reward from my mom. Like, Jason, you can have this because it would never happen. And I beat him just because of that. So that's just, just things that happen to me in my life is what motivates me to, to do that. And I, I love mini bikes too. I mean, that's the most fun I've ever had. If I've always said, if I could get paid to race mini bikes, I'd much rather do it than race big bikes. <laughs> Well, I think uh, we've gone over our time limit like we do every week. I knew that was going to happen. We with didn't Josh. even talk about Suzuki. We didn't talk about any of that. All we did was talk about the past, Sean. Yeah, well, that's. We talked a little bit about Suzuki. I think we did. I think we did okay, Sean. So don't go crying tonight and fall asleep in a bad mood and think Josh Heron's mad at you because he's not. Let's, uh, let's call that a show. Um, thanks to all our listeners for continuing to listen and and uh, continue to do so. The, the show comes out on Saturday mornings. Um, you can count on it every week. It's kind of like church, only a day early and a different <laughs> pastor, yet pastor, pastor Vice. So thanks for joining us, Sean. And, and, and Josh, thanks for, for coming. I, he's been really persistent to be able to get himself a factory ride, but I think I've been more persistent to try to get him on this freaking show. So wait, no, my absolutely. Yeah. It cost me 200 bucks in M&Ms every time. So people feel know that we pay for this. Maybe we need a sponsor to pay for guys like Josh Heron to be on our <laughs> show. But anyways, thanks to everybody. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, you guys. Peace.